Chapter Seven of Windsor Castle, Book Five. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Windsor Castle, Book Five, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Chapter Seven: How the train was fired, and what followed the explosion. About ten o'clock, in the night under consideration, Surrey and Richmond, accompanied by the Duke of Shoreditch and half a dozen archers, set out from the castle and took their way along the great park in the direction of the lake. They had not ridden far when they were overtaken by two horsemen, who, as far as they could be discerned in that doubtful light, appeared stalwart personages and well-mounted, though plainly attired. The newcomers very unceremoniously joined them. "'There are ill reports of the park, my masters,' said the foremost of these persons to Surrey, "'and we would willingly ride with you across it.' "'But our way may not be yours, friend,' replied Surrey, who did not altogether relish this proposal. "'We are not going farther than the lake.' "'Our road lies in that direction,' replied the other. "'And if you please, we will bear you company as far as we go. "'Come, tell me frankly,' he added after a pause, "'are you not in search of Hearn the Hunter?' "'Why do you ask, friend?' rejoined the Earl somewhat angrily. "'Because if so,' replied the other, "'I shall be right glad to join you.' and so will my friend Tony Crispin, who is close behind me. I have an old grudge to settle with this Hearn, who has more than once attacked me, and I shall be glad to pay it. If you will take my advice, Hugh Dacre, you will ride on and leave the achievement of the adventure to these young galliards, interposed Crispin. Nay, by the mass, that shall never be, rejoined Dacre if they have no objection to our joining them. If they have, they have only to say so, and we will go on. "'I will be plain with you, my masters,' said Surrey. "'We are determined this night, as you have rightly conjectured, to seek out Hearn the Hunter, and we hope to obtain such clue to him as will ensure his capture. If, therefore, you are anxious to join us, we shall be glad of your aid. But you must be content to follow and not lead, and to act as you are directed, or you will only be in the way, and we would rather dispense with your company. We are content with the terms, are we not, Tony? said Dacre. His companion answered somewhat sullenly in the affirmative. "'And now that the matter is arranged, may I ask when you propose to go?' he continued. "'We are on our way to a hut on the lake, where we expect a companion to join us,' replied Surrey. "'What? Tristram Lindwood's cottage?' demanded Dacre. "'Aye,' replied the Earl. "'And we hope to recover his fair granddaughter from the power of the demon.' "'Ha! Say you so!' cried Dacre. 
"'That were a feat indeed!' The two strangers then rode apart for a few moments, and conversed together in a low tone, during which Richmond expressed his doubts of them to Surrey, adding that he was determined to get rid of them. The newcomers, however, were not easily shaken off. As soon as they perceived the Duke's design, they stuck more pertinaciously to him and the Earl than before, and made it evident they would not be dismissed. By this time they had passed Spring Hill, and were within a mile of the valley in which lay the marsh, when a cry for help was heard in the thicket on the left, and the troop immediately halted. The cry was repeated, and Surrey, bidding the others follow him, dashed off in the direction of the sound. Presently they perceived two figures beneath the trees, whom they found on a nearer approach were Sir Thomas Wyatt, with Mabel in a state of insensibility in his arms. Dismounting by the side of his friend, Surrey hastily demanded how he came there and what had happened. "'It is too long a story to relate now,' said Wyatt, "'but the sum of it is that I have escaped, by the aid of this damsel, from the clutches of the demon. Our escape was effected on horseback, and we had to plunge into the lake. The immersion deprived my fair preserver of sensibility.' so that as soon as I landed, and gained a covert where I fancied myself secure, I dismounted, and tried to restore her. While I was thus occupied, the steed I had brought with me broke his bridle, and darted off into the woods. After a while Mabel opened her eyes, but she was so weak that she could not move, and I was fain to make her a couch in the fern in the hope that she would speedily revive. But the fright and the suffering had been too much for her, and a succession of fainting fits followed, during which I thought she would expire. This is all. Now let us prepare a litter for her, and convey her where proper assistance can be rendered. Meanwhile the others had come up, and Hugh Dacre, flinging himself from his horse, and pushing Surrey somewhat rudely aside, advanced towards Mabel, and taking her hand, said in a voice of some emotion, "'Alas, poor girl! I did not expect to meet thee again in this state!' "'You knew her, then?' said Surrey. Dacre muttered an affirmative. "'Who is this man?' asked Wyatt of the Earl. "'I know him not,' answered Surrey. "'He joined us on the road hither.' "'I am well known to Sir Thomas Wyatt,' replied Dacre, in a significant tone, "'as he will avouch when I recall certain matters to his mind. "'But do not let us lose time here. "'This damsel claims our first attention. "'She must be conveyed to a place of safety, "'and where she can be well tended.' We can then return to search for Hearn. Upon this a litter of branches were speedily made, and Mabel being laid upon it, the simple conveyance was sustained by four of the archers. 
the little cavalcade then quitted the thicket, and began to retrace its course towards the castle. Wyatt had been accommodated with a horse by one of the archers, and rode in a melancholy manner by the side of the litter. They had got back nearly as far as the brow of Spring Hill, when a horseman, in a wild garb, and mounted on a coal-black steed, lashed suddenly and at a furious pace out of the trees on the right. He made towards the litter, overturning Sir Thomas Wyatt, and before any opposition could be offered him, seized the inanimate form of Mabel, and placing her before him on his steed, dashed off as swiftly as he came, and with a burst of loud, exulting laughter. "'It is Hearn! It is Hearn!' burst from every lip, and they all started in pursuit, urging the horses to their utmost speed. Sir Thomas Wyatt had instantly remounted his steed, and he came up with the others. Hearn's triumphant and demoniacal laugh was heard as he scoured with the swiftness of the wind down a long glade. But the fiercest determination animated his pursuers who, being all admirably mounted, managed to keep him fully in view. Away, away he speeded, in the direction of the lake, and after him they thundered, straining every sinew in the desperate chase. It was a wild and extraordinary sight, and partook of the fantastical character of a dream. At length Hearn reached the acclivity, at the foot of which lay the waters of the lake glimmering in the starlight, and by the time he had descended to its foot his pursuers had gained its brow. The exertions made by Sir Thomas Wyatt had brought him a little in advance of the others. Furiously goading his horse, he dashed down the hillside at a terrific pace. All at once, as he kept his eye on the flying figure of the demon, he was startled by a sudden burst of flame in the valley. A wide circle of light was rapidly described. A rumbling sound was heard, like that preceding an earthquake, and a tremendous explosion followed, hurling trees and fragments of rock into the air. Astounded at the extraordinary occurrence, and not knowing what might ensue, the pursuers reined in their steeds. But the terror of the scene was not yet over. The whole of the brushwood had caught fire, and blazed up with the fury and swiftness of lighted flax. The flames caught the parched branches of the trees, and in a few seconds the whole grove was on fire. The sight was awfully grand, for the wind which was blowing strongly swept the flames forward, so that they devoured all before them. When the first flash was seen, the demon had checked his steed and backed him, so that he had escaped without injury, and he stood at the edge of the flaming circle, watching the progress of the devastating element. But at last, finding that his pursuers had taken heart and were approaching him, he bestirred himself and rode round the blazing zone. Having by this time recovered from their surprise, Wyatt and Surrey dashed after him, 
and got so near him that they made sure of his capture. But at the very moment they expected to reach him, he turned his horse's head and forced him to leap over the blazing boundary. In vain the pursuers attempted to follow. Their horses refused to encounter the flames, while Wyatt's steed, urged on by its frantic master, reared bolt upright and dislodged him. But the demon held on his way, apparently unscathed in the midst of the flames, casting a look of grim defiance at his pursuers. As he passed a tree from which volumes of fire were bursting, the most appalling shrieks reached his ear, and he beheld Morgan Fenwolf emerging from a hole in the trunk. But without bestowing more than a glance upon his unfortunate follower, he dashed forward, and becoming involved in wreaths of flame and smoke, was lost to sight. Attracted by Fenwolf's cries, the beholders perceived him crawl out of the hole and clamber into the upper part of the tree, where he roared to them most piteously for aid. But even if they had been disposed to render it, it was impossible to do so now, and after terrible and protracted suffering, the poor wretch, half-stifled with smoke and unable longer to maintain his hold of the branch to which he crept, fell into the flames beneath and perished. Attributing its outbreak to supernatural agency, the party gazed on in wonder at the fire, and rode round it as closely as their steeds would allow them. But though they tarried till the flames had abated, and little was left of the noble grove but a collection of charred and smoking stumps, nothing was seen of the fiend, or of the hapless girl he had carried off. It served to confirm the notion of the supernatural origin of the fire, in that it was confined within the mystic circle, and did not extend farther into the woods. At the time that the flames first burst forth, and revealed the countenances of the lookers-on, it was discovered that the self-styled Dacre and Crispin were no other than the King and the Duke of Suffolk. "'If this mysterious being is mortal, he must have perished now,' observed Henry. "'And if he is not, it is useless to seek for him further.' Day had begun to break, as the party quitted the scene of devastation. The King and Suffolk, with the archers, returned to the castle. But Wyatt, Surrey, and Richmond rode towards the lake, and proceeded along its banks in the direction of the forester's hut. Their progress was suddenly arrested by the sound of lamentation, and they perceived, in a little bay overhung by trees which screened it from the path, an old man kneeling beside the body of a female, which he had partly dragged out of the lake. It was Tristram Lindwood, and the body was that of Mabel. Her tresses were dishevelled and dripping with wet, as were her garments, and her features white as marble. The old man was weeping bitterly. With Wyatt, to dismount and grasp the cold hand of the hapless maiden 
was the work of a moment. "'She is dead!' he cried, in a despairing voice, removing the dank tresses from her brow and imprinting a reverent kiss upon it. "'Dead! Lost to me for ever!' "'I found her entangled among those water-weeds,' said Tristram, in tones broken by emotion, "'and had just dragged her to shore when you came up. "'As you hope to prosper, now and hereafter, give her a decent burial. "'For me all is over.' "'And with a lamentable cry he plunged into the lake, struck out to a short distance, and then sank to rise no more. End of chapter 7 Thus ends the fifth book of the Chronicle of Windsor Castle. End of Windsor Castle, Book 5 by William Harrison Ainsworth